when we think about detours, we think about road detours, don't we? These are these deviations off of our regular path, off of what would be a better path. In fact, we hate it when we see these things, don't we? We're starting to see some of these in Vero over the last year. But it, it means, you know, usually it's going to, you know, take you longer to get to where you need to get. Maybe it's not as smooth. There's not as many lanes. It's just aggravating. And, and, and you often wonder sometimes when you're on these detours, where in the world is this thing taking me? You ever felt like that before? Well, it's also similar in these detours that we experience in life. Just like the road detours, these are things that, that take us off of our regular path, what we normally we think of. And, and it's usually not as smooth. It's usually painful. It's sometimes very frustrating. We have the potential of getting lost. In other words, we begin to kind of feel like we lose our identity, lose our self-esteem. Maybe we even feel like we've lost a sense of God's presence in our lives. You ever felt that way before? And just like these detours that we see on roads, they come up unexpected a lot of times. We have no control over them. But we can control how we experience these detours in life. Now this morning, I'm going to talk about family detours. Each week will be different. Family detours, deviations from what we envision as a normal, healthy family. You know, we, we think in terms of, you know, husband and wife loving each other till death do them part. And they have children who are obedient and they always get along. No health issues, no setbacks. And I think most, most couples who get married, they think, yeah, that we're different than other people. We are going to ride down this beautiful, beautiful road. And despite what you see on people's social media, I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of people out there that are experiencing some major family issues in their lives. And if they haven't been on these detours before, then they're on them right now. These detours are caused by death. Maybe it's financial or health issues. Divorce, addictions, abuse, unfaithfulness, lies, Rebellion, I mean, on and on we could go, right? When you read your Bible, it's really interesting. We don't find many, if any, perfect families. You ever notice that? I mean, you got Adam and Eve. I mean, they got kicked out of their paradise home because of the choices that they made. When they get out, then one of their children murders one of their other kids. And then God, you know, he destroys the world with the flood. But, you know, there's this one guy. He's, he's the one who's righteous. He's the one that he's going to allow to save the world and humanity. But even he's not a role model. It's not long after they get off to the ark, you know, his sons are trying to hide his shame, his, their father's shameful drunkenness. What about David? David was a man after God's own heart. But he could not maintain his household. 
In fact, you could even say he destroyed another family. Over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on one man. We're going to see some other things in Scripture as well. But there's one man that we're going to kind of go through because he went through so many detours in life. In fact, the first thing we're going to find out about this guy, Joseph, is that he comes from a very dysfunctional family. So we're in Genesis chapter 37, and I want to start reading in verse 18. It says, they, speaking of Joseph's brothers, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he, he rescued him out of the hand, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to him, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of the hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. <laughs> like this is all casual. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Boy, that's a compassionate brother. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Some of you just thought you had a dysfunctional family, didn't you? Can you imagine? And it's like, what is going on here? If you read what happens before that, we see that, you know, Joseph was the favored son. You ever been in a home where one of your siblings, maybe you were the favored one? Those usually don't work out great. But he was given this, this code of many colors, and it was a continual reminder to his brothers that they were not the favored one. They were very jealous of him. And Joseph didn't help things out. Kind of if you read the story, you realize he's a tattletale. In fact, he told them dreams that he would have where his brothers are going to bow down before him. And after a while, they just said, we've had enough. And it led to abuse and violence and just absolutely a broken family. I would say that's a pretty major detour, wouldn't you, being sold into slavery? I mean, he's, he, what about all of his dreams of, you know, being powerful one day? And, and what about, uh, you know, he's no longer living in a home where a father loves him unconditionally. It must have been devastating to him to have this, this beautiful coat, this coat that represented so much, to be stripped off of him, to be thrown into a pit to be a, a human trafficked. <laughs> I mean, that's really what's happening here. 
Now, our detours with our families probably are not quite as dramatic as this, but it doesn't make them any less difficult. Some people are slaves to their own guilt and loneliness and anger and depression because of what they deal with. It's in those times when our families are so dysfunctional that our faith is tested. And we, we turn to God and say, God, why, how can you allow this to happen to me? So I want to share this morning three things that I believe can help you in these times. In the times of it, that you may be in right now. And maybe you will find yourselves in it at some point in your life. And the first thing is this. God is at work in our struggles. God is at work in our struggles. That is a key verse that is found. And this is after finally Joseph goes on this very long detour. Actually, one detour after another. And he's finally to his destination. And Joseph says to his brothers, many years later, he says, As for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now their evil, was not, he's not excusing them for what they've done. The, absent, the abuse rather of a spouse or a child is evil. Adultery is sinful. Rebellious children can become criminal. The neglect of a spouse is wrong. But Joseph shows us that rough roads lead to right places. I read about a woman. It was during a horrible economic depression. Her husband lost his job. They didn't know how they were going to survive. So out of out of, you know, just trying to make their lives better, they moved to a hostile foreign country. And while they are there, you know, I mean, they don't know the language, they don't know the culture, everything's different from what they were used to. But she could at least say, at least I've got my husband and my boys. But then her husband suddenly dies. She's a widow. But at least her two boys are going to take care of her. They've got jobs now, and, and, and they go and they find a couple of women, and they marry them from there in that country. But just as time passes, probably about 10 years, just when things are starting to heal a little bit, all of a sudden both of her sons die. And all she's left with are two daughter-in-laws. Some of you know I'm referring to Naomi in the book of Ruth. And as bad as it would have been for women today to find themselves in that situation, it was even worse than that culture. She was at the bottom of society at that point. If you were a younger widow, then you could go live with your parents and, and have the hope of marrying again and, and hopefully having a much better life. She was way past that time in her life. 
Well, if you were an older adult and and you find yourself in that situation, then you could go live with your kids and they'll try to take care of you. But her, her children are dead. And so she decides she's going to go back to her homeland, back to Israel. And she's going to live out her days as a beggar. And she changes her name. She changes it from Naomi, that means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter. She tells her friends, listen, don't call me pleasant anymore. Just call me bitter. Because she felt like that God had abandoned her. That she has been cursed and rejected by the Lord. And some of you, in your family situations and the things you've gone through in life, you may feel like or have felt like that before. But if you know the book of Ruth, you know it's a story of hope, don't you? It's unlike any other book in that there's no miracles. <laughs> there's no big fish. There's, there's no burning bushes. There's no angels, you know, taking care of things. There, there's no, you know, divine dreams and revelations. But as you read the book, you just continue to see that God was working. It was God, even though she didn't realize it at the time, who broke the famine, opened the way for her to come home. God led Ruth to a guy named Boaz to be a kinsman redeemer. That's a really big thing back then, so that it would continue Naomi's line, which also meant that the Lord had a part in opening her womb to conceive. God was constantly working, even though Naomi didn't realize it at the time. But we see it. We see it on every single page. And we see that God was there in the sorrows, and he was there in the joys. And the same is true today. We just have to look for the signs that God is working in our lives. Joni Erickson Tata, she's been confined to a wheelchair since she was a teenager. She wrote, God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. It breaks God's heart when he sees us broken. And at the same time, he loves us enough to let us experience these pains in order to accomplish the things that he loves. What is God working on in your life? I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves when we're going through these difficult times. What is it that God may be trying to work on in our lives? Because he may be using these detours. It doesn't mean that he created them, but it, it also means that he can use them. And he may be trying to make you more compassionate, more patient a person towards other people than you had before. Maybe what he's doing here is that he's trying to uh, help you some, see some things about yourself that you didn't realize. Maybe you needed to stop 
trying to be in control of everything, and, and, and you've got to learn to just trust God. And he's, the, everything is so stripped away that that's, that's all you got left. Maybe, maybe in these family detours, he's trying to help you be a better father or a better husband or a better child. I don't know what it is, but I think we have to continue to ask, what is it that maybe God is doing and trying to work on in my life that, that I'm just not paying attention to? And we may not know until later, but we should constantly be wondering and asking ourselves these things. And that brings us to the next point, and that is God works in ways we never expect. I mean, we'll go back to Joseph. God used the evil of his brothers to get him to Egypt, where he eventually is going to be thrown in jail. But he's going to meet somebody in jail who will eventually introduce him to Pharaoh. And it's Pharaoh that's going to be impressed by this guy, and, and he is going to be the second most powerful man in Egypt. And not only does he save Egypt from a famine, he saves God's people who are to bring the Messiah into the world. He saves that family, his family. You look at Naomi. God gave her Ruth. After her sons die, you know, she, she says to her two daughter-in-laws, listen, you're still young, you still got hope. Go back to your family, your Moabite family, marry a good Moabite boy, you know, this kind of thing. And one of them does, but then Ruth says, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, she, she makes this statement. It's so powerful. It's one of the most beautiful statements we'll see in Scripture. And it says, don't urge me to leave you to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people... They'll be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Ruth became an immigrant. And she didn't do it to better her life. She actually did it knowing it was going to worsen her life. As far as she knows, she's going to live out the rest of her life in poverty. Maybe deal with rejection and violence because she's a Moabite the Israelites didn't like these people and even later on we see after she's in the land you know there's that Boaz is concerned for her to go glean in other fields he's, he's scared for her safety and yet despite knowing those things she goes she went Naomi goes back to Bethlehem and she tells all her old friends, she says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. No. She came back with Ruth. You think Ruth was like, hello? I gave up remarrying and having a better life to come take care of you and your old life. And I know Naomi's thinking in the sense that, you know what, my family line is going to die. My, I no longer have a name. All I have is this Moabite widow. What in the world can God do with that? Turns out he could do quite a bit. 
Some of you, you have encountered one family detour after another, and you feel like God has abandoned you, but right under your nose may be your Ruth, and you don't even realize it. And part of the reason is, because we do this, some people do this on detours, you know, they start going in detours, and they're like, I just don't like this road, I just don't, and so we turn back around, because we want to get back on the other road, and I'll just wait, or I'll, maybe there's something else better, and we just, we, we try to get away from the, and that's exactly what happens sometimes in our own lives, rather than going along these detours in life, we're living in the past, we don't see what God has placed in our path, we don't see the Ruth that may be in our lives. And it may be a family member, it may be a friend, it may be your church family, it may be that person that you keep pushing away because you want to wallow in all of the pity and all of the, the difficulties that you're going through and you just don't want to be on this detour in life. But God is trying to put people in your life to bless you. And you may look at them and say... I, I don't think you understand. I don't see how that person is going to be a blessing. Naomi didn't either. It's the women who finally tell Naomi at the end, this is this daughter-in-law of yours. She loves you. She said she's more to you than seven sons. Now, we know seven is very symbolic. What, that, what, he, what they're saying is you've got the perfect family. God bless you more than you ever would have dreamed and hoped while you were sitting in Moab with your husband and your children. Grieve over the things that you have to grieve over, but God can do something wonderful. No matter how difficult the road is in your life, follow your detours. God is working. Trust him. You never know where you're going to end up or what God is going to accomplish in your life. This is Elisa Morgan. She is the president of Mothers of Preschoolers International, also known as MOPS. She was raised in a dysfunctional family. When she was six years old, her parents divorced. Her and her siblings were raised by her alcoholic mother. When the Mothers of Preschoolers International approached her about about leading this organization she just she goes to god and she goes god i just don't see how i can be you someone who wasn't nurtured by a mother and now i'm supposed to nurture these other mothers and she remembered the words that god gave to paul where he says my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness and she looked at these women and they mirrored her own her own struggles, and God uses this woman. An unlikely person, we would think, to nurture mothers, someone who wasn't nurtured. But let me tell you this, it requires a continual trust in God, continual. Joseph never threw up his hands and said, God, that's enough, I'm out. And we haven't even covered all the detours. We just got one little one we're dealing with here. That's pretty major, but believe me, it, it, it's crazy. He just trusted God. It, it takes amazing faith. I, I'll tell you that. It's amazing faith. He kept moving forward through his detours. And if he dies along the way, he just believes 
that, that God is going to bring him to a place that is better than if he were to take control of, him, of it himself. And that brings us to this next point. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Joseph could have lost faith in God along the way, but he didn't. In fact, his family was destined for something bigger, and he knew it. Here he is. He's at the end of his life. He's heard the promises of his father, grandfather, great-grandfather, this covenant that God had made with his family. And he tells his boys, here's his last request. He says, I want you, when God finally delivers us on that promise, he says, I want you to take my bones out of this place and carry me to the promised land. And what the writer of Hebrews tells us was, this was amazing faith. This took a great, amazing faith. At the end of the life of, of Ruth, we find this genealogy. Y'all know, in my, those of you in my class, you know I, I love genealogies. But it's just, it's an incomplete genealogy. It leads us to David. David became the greatest king that Israel ever had. But it's not until Matthew chapter 1 that we find the completed part of that genealogy, which is the genealogy of Jesus. And guess who's in there? Ruth. She's only one of four women that make it in the genealogy of Christ. And guess what? She's a non-Israelite. She points to the one who came. Naomi clung to, Ruth rather, clung to Naomi at the risk of her life. And Jesus, he clung to us for the cost of his life. Ruth says to Naomi, I'm not going to let anything except death separate us. But Jesus says, I'm not even going to allow death to separate us. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Now let me say this to those of you who are lucky enough that you don't, you, you've never really dealt with some major family difficulties. Maybe everything you put on Facebook is just genuine. You are that perfect person that you see. Or maybe you've been through it in times past, but it's been a while and God's got you on this amazing road and you're just, you're loving life. Let me say something to you. Be a Ruth to someone else who is driving on these detours. These dark, difficult roads of life. Maybe it's someone who loses a spouse or a child. A miscarriage someone who's going through a divorce, someone dealing with a rebellious child or aging parents, people who are dealing with health issues. You be the loving arms of Jesus to those people. We've got our little motto here that we started this year. We care for you, we count on you. So say that with me. We care for you, we count on you. And we do. We should always look out at our church family and, and when we find those people that we know, we, we need to be a Ruth. We, we need to be Jesus 
You know, one thing about our hardships is it crushes the illusion that somehow that our world can really satisfy us and keep its promises. It's only the hope of what Peyton talked about last week at the end of Revelation that, that that's what we have to look forward to. The great-grandfather of Joseph, he took a major detour in his life. In fact, if you come to class after this, we're, going to, we're actually going to talk about this, this very thing. He took this major detour in his life. He never saw the promise that God gave him in his lifetime. And what it says in Hebrews is, he was just looking forward to the city with foundations whose designer and builder is God. He knows that God's go he's going to do something better and greater. No matter whether I see it in my lifetime or whether it's later on, I just I trust this God. And for you, when you go through these times in your life, and no matter what they are, I think that's a good time for us to truly seek that which is coming rather than focusing on what's constantly beating us down. And I know it's difficult. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to downplay it in any way. But there's something greater and higher than even our own problems. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we just ask you to be with us and to be with the people in this church. Father, I pray for those that maybe their hearts right now are they're just, just hot. It's, it's, they're, they're struggling this morning because they're dealing with some stuff. They're dealing with some serious detours in their own life. Father, I just pray that your peace and your love overflows them this morning. I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit just overtakes them. I pray, Father, for, the, for, for all of us who, who we've gone through these detours and, and maybe we're on a really good road right now. Father, help us. Help us to know who it is that, that, need, that we need to be your hands and your feet. Father, we just pray for this church family. And we thank you, Father, that you have, you have brought us into your family. Father, we have such a great hope that is beyond this world. Just help us get through this world. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.